to the book of Luke in chapter number 17. The book of Luke, chapter number 17. Again, good to see everyone here tonight. Good to be in the Lord's house there. Luke, chapter number 17. We'll start reading at verse number 28. Luke, chapter number 17, verse number 28. If you would, when you found your place, if you would, stand in reverence to the reading of the word of God there tonight. Luke, chapter 17, verse number 28. And the word says, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that it is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. We'll start reading there and we'll take the title of our message tonight from verse number 32. As we think about those three words that our Savior mentioned to us there tonight, remember Lot's wife. Let's pray. I'm most kind and gracious and dear Heavenly Father to the Lord. We thank Him once again, Lord, for the privilege and the freedom that we have, Lord, to come together to meet and to worship You. Lord, to gather in Your house here tonight, Lord, to be able to sing Your praise and be thankful, dear Lord, for all of Your infinite mercies You've given to us, and most of all for salvation, dear Lord. Lord, I pray that you forgive us, Lord, for our sins and for the times we have failed you. Lord, take the reading of your word here tonight. Bless it and use it as you see fit. Lord, just take the reins of the service. Have your will in your way. And Father, please be with all the objects that are mentioned there tonight, the needs upon each and every heart. And Father, be careful to give you the praise and the glory and honor for all. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated there tonight. We will find Lot's wife is mentioned there tonight, first off, in our text in Luke chapter 17. And again, of course, in the original mention in Genesis chapter number 19. But we don't see her mentioned anywhere else in the scripture. We don't know her name. But yet, Jesus thought it was important enough to mention her specifically by the description of Lot's wife in the text there tonight. He understood that there was a specific example and a specific lesson to be learned by remembering Lot's wife. And of course, to go back to Genesis chapter number 19 there tonight to find what happened to Lot's wife. Genesis chapter number 19. We find what took place, of course, in this day and age. This is when the time of Abraham was there. Abraham and Lot, they have separated themselves. They've each gone their separate ways. Lot decided that he was going to choose for himself the well-watered plain of Jordan. And you would find in the scriptures that he decided he was going to set his tent towards Sodom. That tent being a symbol and a type and a picture of Lot's life. Every time he got out of the morning of his tent, what was the first thing he laid eyes upon? But was Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the evening when he came in from his work and went to go in to lie down for the night and to sleep, what was the last thing he see before he went in? But he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin and the weakness that was there present in those towns was always present there before him. And he would find that over time he goes from having his tent facing that way to eventually he ends up himself in the gates of the city and living in the very place of Sodom and Gomorrah. There he took his family, his wife, their children, and were present there. And it came a time that God made it known to Abraham that there was going to be judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham began to try to intercede on the behalf of Lot that was there. He started at 50 and began to work away down. If there would be just so many righteous souls, 
that God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet we know that none were found. But yet God in His infinite mercy saw fit to send the two angels ahead. Saw fit to send them there in an act of kindness, mercy, and grace to get Lot out. Now we have to remember, you would find the New Testament book of Hebrews, the Bible says that Lot calls him that righteous man, says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That meaning Lot was a saved person who had backslidden as far as he was now. In Genesis chapter number 19, in verse number 12, we find what was beginning to take place. It said, And the man said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Mm. My, what a sad state of affairs that you would find there. That the man who once kept company with Abraham saw the miracles and the things that God did wrought. And now the judgment is getting ready to come upon the town. He goes out to begin to try to tell his sons-in-law, his daughter, saying, hey, this is going to happen. Judgment is coming. Get ready to get out of the city. But it seemed as one that mocked. They didn't believe him. Choose, they probably, no doubt, probably said, we've seen the lifestyle that you live. We've seen what you're there in that's here. You expect us to believe that now, after all this time, judgment is going to come. And that brings us into our first point that we've got there tonight. During the days of Lot and Lot's wife, we didn't see that there was a classic day. That is, it was a typical and a normal day of business. Life had been going on in that area as it had been for quite some time had been uninterrupted, they no doubt would have went out and they would have planted, they would have sown, they would have done so many things. Matter of fact, if you go back to Luke chapter number 17, in the preceding verses before we see this mentioned of Lot, it said in verse number 26, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day the lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It was a typical day of business. Life just continued on just like it had been before. They had a sense of security, you could say. Well, that's one thing a lot of people seek today, isn't it? They try to find some security. They were willing to go to great lengths to try to protect Anything that they've got, and rightfully so, I would do any length I could to protect my family. But some people may take a step further and they're looking for security in all the wrong places. They may look to their own ability. They may look to the promise of the government. Perhaps they look to the military. Perhaps they're putting their faith in the money and the wealth and the power that they have accumulated instead of putting their faith and security in the one above who truly matters. Instead of looking to where they needed to there. James chapter 4 and verse number 13 through 15 says this, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, 
If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Time is something that is always fleeting for us. Time is the one thing in this life that we will never be able to get back. You've heard it said that there is no time like the present. Indeed, that be the case because it is truly the only time that we have promised to us. We don't know when judgment's going to come. We don't know what's going to happen on the morrow. As we saw there in the book of James, it talks about your life appears but for just a time and vanishes away a vapor. You go out one of these cold mornings and you see your breath there. You go out to start the car up, try to let it get warm and such. And you see your breath and it's there for a second or two and it's gone. Just like it had never been there before. Same concept we see there. Our lives are here just for a fleeting moment. And then they're gone, that's there. Oftentimes, we are guilty of the same thing they did in that day. They place their security in the things around them there. Think about the days of Noah. I'm sure some of y'all have had the chance to go see the ark up there in Kentucky and see that great ship that they've got built there as what they believe it may have been and how it could have been when that was there. That ark was built with modern means. Noah didn't have the means that we do now. The Lord gave him the instructions, told him exactly what he needed to do, and he needed to go out and build that ark. And it had never rained until that point. There had never been a flood upon the earth. And we know that God chose him because he was righteous, that he had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But could you just imagine the people that walked by and what they may have said to Noah? What are you doing building that thing out here? It's never rained. It's never come a flood. You believe that it's going to come and do this is going to happen? Oh, that ain't going to take place. It's always been this way and it's always going to keep on being that way. Had security that things are going to remain constant. Security in the fact that nothing was going to change. It was going to keep continuing on just as it had before. But then you can imagine when the day came, Noah... His wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls. And all the animals that God had brought to Noah to go upon the ark. Two by two. And then when it was all said and done, the Bible says that God shut him in. At that point in time, it was already too late. Noah had a testimony before him, the fact that he was building the ark. And I believe that he had been telling every person that passed by, every person they met, saying that the judgment's coming. God's going to send the flood. He'd repent. It's going to come there. That ark stood as a testimony to his life's work that God had the purpose for him to do. And when it came time and the rains began to fall, the floods began to rise, I think it not implausible that there were people that came up and may have even beat on the door saying, Noah... I believe what you said now. Noah, let us in. I believe what you said. I see it's taking place now. But it was already too late. For the judgment was upon them. Likewise, we see that it was taking place during the days of Lot. They had been going along. They had been eating, drinking, planning, continuing life just like they would every day. And now it's coming time that the judgment is coming. God in His grace and mercy had warned Lot. And the angels even said, go get them. Go tell them. And he went out and he just seemed as one that mocked. It said in verse 15, And when the morning arose, in Genesis chapter 19, Then the angels hastened, Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the man laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. 
Now we have to stop and ponder another thought there tonight. We saw it was a classic day. That it was a normal day of business, a normal day of life. But it was also a cloudy day. It was cloudy in the sense that the folks were spiritually blinded at that time. Not realizing what was taking place before them. Not realizing that the life that they had saw there, the security they had placed in the mundane, mundane things of this world, and whatever they were putting their affection, their hope in, thinking it was going to keep carrying them on, was about to be uprooted, was about to be done away with. They were blinded and having their hope in those things. Maybe their possessions, other items of affection, but Lot's wife, we know something else, was going to hold her gaze back. But if you look in the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter number 1. Romans, chapter number 1 and verse 18. The word says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You would see, read on down, we know that God eventually gave them up to their vile affections, gave them over to a reprobate mind. Likewise, as it was then, we can say the same is now. We saw there that they are without excuse. Verse number 18 of Romans chapter 1, it says, Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Interesting choice of words. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. How is God making it plain and known? It's making it known and it is interesting if you look through history, look through the different cultures and the different societies all across the world, even in societies that have been isolated sometimes for thousands of years. There are societies and cultures nowadays and places in this world that still have not had contact with the outside world. Still isolated there. But even what they've seen from studying these cultures and these societies, they all believe in some type of a higher power. They all believe that there is something else that is there that is supernatural and that is above them. I can help but recall Paul himself when he went into the city, beginning to make a witness, he went up into Mars Hill. And he began to say that and talked about to begin to witness and preach. And he said, you know, there's an altar over here. It says, to the unknown God. I said, let me tell you about him. Even they knew that there was a God that was going to be there. God has made it manifest that mankind was without excuse. And even in this life they choose to rather go after the things that feel good to themselves. They want to go after what they believe to be right in their own eyes. We know that the man back in the days, times of Noah, times of Lot, there in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were doing that which was righteous in their own eyes. They would have been doing those things that seemed right. And you and I, no doubt, if we look around about this world today, we see people doing the exact same thing. 
taking what is going to be absolutely, blatantly, and totally wrong by the Word of God and pronouncing it to be good. And not only that, but celebrating the evil that is in this world without natural affection. We could continue to read on in Romans 1 and see all the things that's there and it probably wouldn't be that dissimilar from listening to the headlines and the newspapers and from seeing the news on 6 o'clock. You would see some of the same things. Things that are reprehensible. And we just want to ask ourselves sometimes, at least I do, I think, why in the world do people do that? Why do they want to go for these things? Why do they want to go against God? Why do they choose to go after all these wicked and vile things? But then I have to remember that the Lord saw fit to save me and gave me a new spirit. He gave me a new pair of glasses, so to speak, to look at through the world by looking through the lens of His Word. To be able to discern what was right and what was wrong. The Holy Ghost to guide us, to help lead us, and to help us to know in the paths that we need to walk in. And to have a light so that it would make the darkness flee from us and we'd be able to walk and navigate in the treacherous world that we're in. But then the people that are in this world that are lost and are spiritually blinded. The little devil wants to try to take as many of them with him as he can. There are people in this world that are trying to find some type of peace, hope, security, joy. Trying to find something, anything they can find that's there. They can find some satisfaction in their lives. And they may be looking in alcohol or drugs, an immoral lifestyle, partying, living it up. When in reality, they just need someone to tell them about a man named Jesus who can provide them with all the security and with all the peace and the joy and the satisfaction that they will not find in anything else in this world. The devil is going to do his best to try to keep God's children from being a witness that's out there today. Because we see it was a cloudy day. They were were spiritually blinded. Not only was it a classic day, a cloudy day, but also notice it was a calamitous day. It was a day when God's judgment came. A day that was sudden. In Genesis chapter number 19, we see within there, verse number 16, and while he lingered, you know, that's one thing that's amazing to me to think about. He's been told once, judgment is coming. Go tell those that's beside in your house, go tell them what's happening. He went out and he came back because they didn't listen. It said, and when the morning arose, when the angels hastened, Lot saying, Arise, take thy wife, a two daughters, verse number 15, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Twice now they've said, Get your stuff, get what you need, get the people you want to take with you, and go. And Lot's still lingering there. Something was laying hold upon him there. But notice that verse, it said, the verse 16, the man laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. Oh man, I'm thankful for mercy. Thankful for mercy there. It said, and he brought him forth and set him without the city. I believe God, being merciful, had his two angels grab him by the hand and supernaturally teleport them outside the city walls and said, look, you may have been one lingering around waiting for the judgment to come. You're hanging on to something. I don't know what it was, but don't stay here. Get out without the city. And then verse number 18, they said, verse number 17, and it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And thou hast magnified thy mercy, 
which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything to thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Lord, continue to be merciful, saying, All right, you may not be able to escape the plain, but you'll make this to the city. I'll accept your request. Go, flee, run, don't look back, don't delay. Run to the city, run to the place that I've set aside to where you can escape the judgment. Verse number 23. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. She had been warned, don't even look back. I like to oftentimes put myself in in the shoes of what it would have been like for the people in the events that take place in the Scripture in the Bible. And I begin to think about, I wonder what it would have been like having to run away from such a scene. God was getting ready to rain down that fire and that brimstone. I've always liked a little bit of science, a little bit of history, and some of the things of this earth that is strangely fascinating, but also as just as equally terrifying as to think about a volcano. That's been in the news a lot lately because of what's happening in Iceland, if you happen to see it there. And it's terrifying and to see an unstoppable force that mankind has tried for decades to try to subvert and try to protect towns and try to direct that molten rock, that hot lava away from structures and areas and yet have been able to really find success in trying to control that. And as terrifying as that is, that's something that originated from this earth. How much more terrifying would it have been to have been Lot, Lot's wife, and been running away and thinking about the fire and the brimstone that God was raining upon the city in judgment behind? I wonder what it sounded like. I wonder if they may have even felt the heat from it. It's a terrifying prospect to think about how that you're running away from the destruction of an entire area. You can go to where it is today, the place called the Dead Sea full of salt and where nothing is alive, and aptly got its name, the Dead Sea. Utterly destroyed the plain that was there. Just imagine what would have been going on behind. and In that time of moment, time of terror, it looks like that if you think about it, you would be focused on trying to find the safest place that you could to try to get away from it. In this case, they had the city that they had been allowed to go to, go to and to be able to be saved and to find mercy from what was happening behind them then you have to ask yourself, what was it that Lot's wife so desired perhaps and so missed behind in the city of Sodom that she was willing to turn around and see the terrible destruction that was there and she became a pillar of salt? What was it that came and captured her attention? I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it was her family that she left behind knowing that it was too late for them. Maybe it was some possessions they left behind. Maybe they had a nice house. 
Maybe it was a social status that they had there. The life that they had. We probably won't know the answer to that until we get to heaven and God chooses to reveal it to us. But the fact remains that Christ thought it enough as an example to remind us to remember Lot's wife. There was something in that city that she was just willing to keep hanging on to and to not let go to see the mercy and the salvation that the Lord had given there. It was a calamitous day. It was a day of judgment. It was sudden. It was quick. And it was complete. As in the days of Noah, when that flood came, it didn't just flood a small area. It was a global event. There was no mountain peak left above the waves. Every living thing that was upon the earth died. The world that we see today in its grandeur and its beauty and I like to be able to go out and hike and see different things there but when in reality you're seeing the things there you're actually seeing the scars of what happened so many years ago when the flood took place and reshaped the world as we know it then. It was complete. Likewise, there's going to become a day when judgment is also going to be complete. There's going to become a new heaven and a new earth. Back in our main text in Luke chapter number 17. Writing out the chapter in verse number 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinded together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. You say, well, what is he referring to there? He's referring to the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of his second coming. Revelation chapter number 19. You'll find this account. Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11. The word says this. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which received, he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, 
And their enemies were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and the fowls were filled with their flesh. Verse number chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. There's going to be a final battle, the battle of Armageddon. The second coming and all those that had stood against him. This is going to be after the rapture. This is going to be when those that are saved are going to be gone into heaven. Not having to endure and think about all the things that were going to take place during the tribulation. And at the end, in the battle that's there, heaven's going to open. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to come down on that white horse. I was reading that this afternoon. It kind of run all over me. You know, we see a lot of things mentioned today about wars and rumors of wars and you see all these things that talk about such terrible things that happen out there. But nothing's going to compare to the one who's got it all straight within his power. The one who's got more power and might within a sword that goes out of his mouth than all the nuclear arsenal that's contained upon this earth. Than all the weapons that's going to be mattered there. We have nothing to fear because the one that we serve is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when he comes and he decides that he's going to make the battle, it's going to be complete. Judgment will be there. The old devils will be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Afterwards, they'll be loose for a season. Then there'll be the final end to it all. And then old things are going to pass away. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. They're going to believe in global warming then. The Bible says the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. It's going to be so hot, it's all going to be gone. Melted away. But then after that, you would find there's going to be the great white throne judgment. There's going to be those at that judgment who didn't have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who had went through this life in the security with whatever they're putting their faith and their trust and their hope in and missed a salvation of God that had been there before them. We already saw it mentioned in Romans 1 that they are without excuse. Pastor Darren's been preaching a great many messages the past several weeks and I think for years, quite honestly, to be about it. But he, they've seen souls saved. We've seen people come to him. We've seen people begin to be revitalized. But there's still going to always, I believe, be someone that God needs to save. You never know who's going to fall under the sound of, of the voice of preaching. Who's going to listen to the song that you sing. Who's going to enter your presence. And you may have an opportunity that you can be a witness to. At the workplace. At the grocery store. The doctor's office. We don't know when we're going to cross paths with someone. You never know when we'll have that opportunity to be a witness to them. Remember Lot's wife. Despite the judgment, she just couldn't let go of what she held behind. She yearned for her old life, her lifestyle, possessions. Whatever she was holding on to ultimately ended up costing her life. We can ask ourselves there tonight, what is it that you're hanging on to? Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you just don't want to give up those things in this life that you're afraid that is fun to you and brings you some satisfaction. Let me tell you tonight that whatever you're hanging on to to keep from getting to Jesus, it's not worth it. Remember Lot's wife. 
Judgment was happening behind her, but yet she still disobeyed the word, turned around and looked at the destruction that was happening, and it cost her. There were going to be souls that no doubt stood underneath preaching, that heard it, maybe by way of the internet, maybe from a family member, maybe from a co-worker, and it's going to come down to the end of time when all is said and done and Christ has come back, the judgment has been complete, and you'll stand before the judge of the universe. And what will you plea? There will be nothing that you could say as your sentence is made known to you. As a lake of fire is read out to you and that you're going to spend eternity in outer darkness. Separation there. Mark 8, verse number 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What profit is it? Or maybe there tonight you're a, you're a Christian. But maybe there's some things in this life that, like Lot in his situation, that you had chosen to go after this life and you've gotten further and further from God. Maybe there's some things that is holding you back, that's keeping you down. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1 says this, right on the heels of chapter 11 where they had the hall of faith, said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What are we hanging on to? What luggage are we carrying through life that we just can't release and let go to accept what God had given to us? I remember when I was at Temple there going to the Christian school, and of course they had chapel each week, and I was just in elementary school. I don't remember how old I was exactly, maybe seven years old or thereabouts. And on that day, they had one of the preachers come in, and I'll be honest, I couldn't tell you the title of his message, or what else was said, but I remember this one thing. There come a time, oftentimes especially with the elementary grades, you know, they're going to ask for a volunteer to come help them with an illustration or something that's there. Of course, you know, it's elementary school. Everybody's like, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. So you've got a whole auditorium full of kids raising their hand to pick me. You won't get that in high school, but you'll get it in elementary school. And I happened to be the one that got picked. I remember going up to the front up there where he was. He'd come down off the platform and he began to talk. And I remember him saying, look at me, a man. He pulled out the shiniest penny that I ever did see. It was just a penny, but it was shiny. It was pretty. He's like, here, I want you to hold this for me. You'd like to have that shiny penny, wouldn't you? And me, of course, seven years old. Sure, I'll hold the shiny penny. And I held on to it with my hand. He kept going on. And then a few minutes later, he said, now, young man, you've got a penny there in that hand. But, you know, I've got a dollar right here. Wouldn't you much rather have that dollar than that penny? Naturally, I'm thinking, boy, yeah, dollar, I'll take it. I can buy me something good at the snack bar. I get me a candy bar. But then he said, but before you give up that, before you get that dollar, you've got to give up that penny. Yeah, it was shiny, it was pretty, but it was not worth the same value as that dollar is willing to give to me. I had to be willing to give up that penny to receive what was there, and that's the way it is oftentimes in our life with the Lord. We're hanging on to something that, boy, it sure does look good to us. It does seem like it has a feel. Man, it's great to have a hold of that. But in reality, it's worthless. Nothing to compare to what God is willing to give to us. We just need to let it go to, have, to be able to receive that blessing He's got to us. More than once, I started to go and get Charlotte's little suitcase she's got out. Pink outline, zebra skin print, you know, nice and cute little thing that she's got that she would take if we go on trips or sometime 